our continuing series on the Sermon on the Mount. And what, what a passage this is. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And then the promise, for everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. A loving Father is eager to give it to us. Four weeks ago today, on June 23, a Thai family was preparing for a birthday party for their son, who was a member of a soccer team. The team had gone off to do some walking in the wilderness and uh, get into the, the nature in that part of the world. They had climbed into a cave gone 10 kilometers into it, only to find that they could not get out because of the flooding. The discovery was made that the boys were missing. But where exactly were they? And people in their families, in the families of these 12 young men and, and the coach, they wondered and they looked and they searched and it became a big issue in the village and in the country and in the region and it got to you and to me and we all held our breath and we prayed and even atheists anticipated something special that might happen to save these kids. We persisted in our prayer. Day after day, as time went on and, and oxygen levels were, were waning, and, and we wondered, but we, we persisted. We persisted. We persisted. Beyond hope, beyond expectation, through the difficulties, even the death of one of the, of the rescuers. And we hoped for the best, but it didn't look good. We persisted. We were importunate in our prayer. Here's the question. If God knows all things and if God desires to give his children good things and if God hears us the first time that we pray, then why does God ask us to persist in prayer? Before we get into the ask, seek, knock part, let's review where we've been in our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has asked us, and, and, and put on your imagination station, you know, 
so that, so that you're with me. We're, we're, we're on the side of a hill and Jesus is preaching to us. And, and he's going from one subject to the next. And he's challenging us. He's challenging you and me to experience the blessings that God offers in chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, including persecution for righteousness' sake. Oh, boy. I've got to be thankful for that. Consider that a blessing. He's challenged us to mingle like salt and shine like light, verses 13 to 16. To have righteousness that exceeds, righteousness that, exceeds that of the Pharisees, Verses 17 to 20. And if you go with me, go, go, you know, have your Bible. Just just move with me through this. You know, are you tired yet? (laughs) He's asked us to check our anger because it uh, is a precursor to murder. In verses 21 to 26. He's challenged us not to lust for it is a precursor to adultery. He's challenged us to save our marriage relationship in verses 31 and 32 in chapter 5. Is this, is, is this a, a bit of a strain for you and for me to live these, these ethics? To, to will these to happen in our lives? He challenges us to depend on truthfulness instead of on oaths in verses 33 to 37. To not retaliate evil for evil, in verses 38 to 42. To love our enemies, boy, that's a tough one, verses 43 to 47. Are you tired yet? (laughs) Are you feeling a little bit overwhelmed with what, what Jesus is challenging you to do on the side of that hill as he teaches us? He challenges us in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 48, to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. To give to the needy in chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. To pray to God for, with kingdom desires and forgiveness, the Lord's prayer in chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. To fast and not look hungry. Oh, that's a tough one for me. Chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. Are you tired yet? Does this seem almost impossible to you? He's challenged us to invest in heavenly treasure. Chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. He's challenged us to conquer worry. Chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. To stop judging. Chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. And as I'm listening to this, and as I'm being challenged by Jesus himself, I say, who's going to be able to do this? And then he turns to the crowd and he said, ask. (laughs) Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. And then now let's look at some of the grammar that we have here. Looking at the grammar, 
It begins with three imperatives. These are, these are commands. Ask, seek, knock. But then these are in the present continuous form. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And if you look at the grammar again, it's in the plural. And we're south of the Mason-Dixon line, so we can say, you all keep asking. You all keep seeking. You all keep knocking. It's for all of us. It is a challenge for, for the community that is listening to Jesus and the imperatives of what the law means in our lives and how it starts from the depths of our heart and recognizing that our own desires are only half there, that very often we get so comfortable with our inabilities that we do not ask, seek, and knock with the urgency that we ought to. What a challenge this is. Ask. My dad was a servant of servants. He worked for General Motors for 30 years on the assembly lines, never missed a day. When it came to helping people, the moment he heard that somebody had a need, off he was. It didn't matter how many miles he had to go, how, many, uh, how much effort he had to go through, he wanted to help everyone. Uh, so much so that it helped wreck our finances a couple of times. But Dad was reluctant to ask anybody to do anything for him. He would struggle with something. He would, he would just bite his lip. He's, he'd, he'd put his mouth just right while he was doing things. He, he was a strong fellow. He worked on the assembly lines of General Motors, and his arms were really thick and, and, and strong. And my mother uh, would uh, um, forbid him to do any plumbing in the house because uh, he would always break a pipe. And so, so, but Dad wouldn't ask. He was, he was just reluctant to ask for help. He would do anything for anyone. And sometimes, sometimes we wind up being that way. The Bible says, seek. Seek, and you will find. Now this word, in, in Greek is used uh, in the previous chapter uh, in, uh, in Matthew 6.33. It says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. And it uses the same form 
you all seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, this same word is used by the Apostle Paul at the end of 2 Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. In the New International Version, it says, but eagerly desire the greater gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. If you go to your King James Version, to that very, very passage, it uses a word that usually we don't like to use. It says, covet earnestly, covet earnestly the best gifts. Coveting. We say, wait a minute, we, we shouldn't covet. You know, we, we, uh, coveting is, is a bad thing. Well, coveting is only bad when what you cover, covet is not a good thing. There are certain things that are right to covet, particularly the presence and the power of God to do things that we know we can't produce ourselves. Coveting, coveting earnestly, seek but this, 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 there's an intensity in this word, zaiteite. There's an intensity that says, keep on seeking. Do not let up one bit. Covet earnestly the best gifts. I heard a sermon recently from a renowned, the renowned preacher, William E. Sangster was speaking on this subject, and I, I, I felt impressed to incorporate some of his ideas with mine here. Looking at this, at this word, we, uh, we make three major mistakes when we earnestly seek, or we are told to earnestly seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, or seek and find what we need. Remember, we have gone through this, this sequence of, of things that we cannot produce in our own hearts on the Sermon on the, in the Sermon on the Mount. And now Jesus asks, says, ask, seek. Let's, let's stop there for a minute. We make several mistakes. We make three major mistakes when we're earnestly seeking God's will. The first of these is that we pray vaguely. We're vague in our praying. We have a general idea that we are not quite where we want to be, and we throw it all together into one supplication, and we say, Lord, help me with all this stuff. If you wrap up everything that Jesus has, has challenged us to do and to be in the Sermon on the Mount so far, you can't just wrap it all together and say, help me with all this stuff. You have to be, you have to be more specific. Help me, Lord, to count 
the blessings that you place before me, even, even the blessing of mourning, even the blessing of persecution for righteousness' sake, to count the blessings that come. I mean, fasting and not looking hungry is a big deal. Uh, Lord, specifically, help me with this. Have you ever met someone who is so full of ambition but is vague in the aim? They, they share this ambition. They say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And, and five years later, you come by the church, and they're still enthusiastic, but they haven't gotten anywhere because their aim is vague. And they maintain their enthusiasm, and they, they keep... And, and then 20 years later, you see them, and they're, they're still enthusiastic about changing the world. But they've been vague. We, we often yearn without clarity of what we're asking for. And, and we need to learn to particularize, particularize our desire. In case those of us who are listening to the Sermon on the Mount are overwhelmed with the ethical challenges that Jesus brings to us, take one by one and Pray earnestly. Pray with all your heart, specifically for God, what God is offering us to do and be. The second mistake that we make is that we often pray half-heartedly. We realize our limitations. We realize that, you know, heroics really aren't my thing. And, and, and so, and so we, we, we pray, Lord, Lord, uh, yeah, bless, bless this day and, and, uh, and help us, Lord. Uh, we, uh, we, we, we need your help. Yeah, we, we do. It's a... Warm it with strong desire. When I was in college, I wanted a car. My dad informed me that, um, yes, he would help me to buy a car when I could afford the insurance for myself. My freshman year, every time I was near a dealership, I would look and I'd see all the statistics and what, what was there, and I'd long for this car. I continued to long for a car in my sophomore year. I continued to long for a car in my junior year. Finally, as my senior year was starting, I, I just settled on the car that I wanted. It was a BMW Bavarian. I loved that car. I would go to the dealership and I'd look it over and I'd sit in the driver's seat and I'd imagine myself driving this thing. And every waking thought that came my way 
had a car in the middle of my life. I remember my mom calling me up and saying, saying, uh, Gaspar, uh, are you going to come home? I, I was at Atlantic Union College at the time, living in New York City. Are you going to come home this weekend? Yeah, Mom, that's uh, really a problem because, you know, if I had a car... In those days, theology majors preached all over the place. I was preaching 40 Sabbaths a year while a student in the theology program at Atlantic Union College, and they would send me to, to Keene, New Hampshire, and to, and to Washington, New Hampshire, and to Vermont, and to, and to uh, uh, places in Maine, these tiny little churches, remnants of the initial Advent movement. And my dad would ask, well, where are, you, where are you preaching this week? And I'd say, yeah, dad, that's a real problem. You know, getting somebody to drive me all the way up there and stay with me all day and then, and then come back is, is really difficult. But if I had a car... <laughs> I, I didn't get the BMW uh, Bavarian. I wound up with an Oldsmobile Cutlass. They were just slightly over $3,000 back then. Warming it with strong desire, with the, the lure of strong desire, which reminds me of Charles Wesley's hymn, Come Holy Ghost, All Quickening Fire, published in 1779. Come Holy Ghost, All Quickening Fire, come and in my delight to rest, drawn by the lure of strong desire, O oh, come and consecrate my breast, the temple of my soul prepare and fix thy sacred presence there. Drawn by the lure of strong desire. Strong desire. A third mistake that we make when we seek earnestly what God is offering, is that we forget to live the we life. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What a beautiful thing to crave. What a wonderful thing to, to, to desire earnestly. What a great thing to covet. But we often forget to pray about the we life. I don't know if you've seen it in museums. I know when I was uh, preaching in tiny little churches in New England, they would have a, an old, upright pump organ. 
and there would be two pedals, and, and the person who played the organ would just be pedaling to, to get the air through the, you know, the pipes. It was just really, really neat to watch. In Europe, they had, they had concert versions of this in which you'd have a, a fairly large organ and then in the back, behind a curtain, you had a man who would be on, on, this, uh, uh, on, on these pedals and he would be just sort of going up and down and back and forth and, and getting the air to flow through and doing it at a pace that wouldn't overwhelm the pipes. There's a story of, uh, of an organist who had such an organ. He was doing a concert. He was playing very difficult, very beautiful music. And, uh, and every time he would finish a piece, he would, he would stand up, the people would applaud, and, and, and then he'd wait for some silence, and he'd say, and now I will play for you uh, this piece. And he would play that piece, and then, and then after the applause for that one, he would, he would say, and now I will pray, play, play for you this piece. And, and towards the end of the concert, he said it again, and now I will play for you and he put his hands on the organ keys and nothing happened. And he did it again, nothing happened. He looked towards the curtain and there was the face of the pumper who called out to him, let's have a little more we in this, shall we? <laughs> Living the we life in our prayers, we may need to, we may want to plan our day with God. You would probably begin your prayer with, Lord, today we have a very busy day. We need to do this and this and this. Then at the end of the day, review your day with God. Lord, today we were able to do this. Today, we were able to accomplish this. We had been hoping for this for so long, and we were able to do it. But, oh, Lord, I went off without you, and uh, it didn't go so good. I, uh, I, wanted, I want to be able to do it with you. It's bigger than what I can do. I've told this story before from this pulpit, but it never grows old for me. One day, a, an elephant and a mouse were taking a walk down a jungle path. And as they walked along, they came to a wooden bridge. And as they crossed this bridge, the bridge shook. And when they got to the other side, the mouse turned to the elephant and said, we really shook that bridge, didn't we? <laughs> Living the we life, his omnipotence, his power, seek earnestly the best thing, covet 
that which God offers to us. And then Jesus asked us to continue knocking. Keep on knocking. I remember when I was a coal porter in college. Um, at that time, I didn't have a car. Our coal porter leader was in the driver's seat. He would send me off down this particular street. I had gone through a dry spell of three days and hadn't been able to sell anything. And, you know, as I walked to the first door, to knock on that door, what was going through my mind? Oh, they probably won't buy these books. You know, maybe it's my presentation. Maybe it's, uh, I, I just don't know, Lord. Um, and by the time I got to the door, I was convinced that they weren't going to buy the book. And so I would stand there and I'd go, hmm. should I knock, should I not knock? I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but... but Certainly, it was a traumatic experience for me. Knocking on that door. And we have two kids that are, that are really different from each other. Ivan is sort of a, he memorizes things, he does things in a very orderly uh, way. He only does things that he knows he can do. But he didn't like knocking on doors. Sarah, on the other hand, would just walk up and, you know, regardless of the situation, knock on the door, and then when the door opened, she would go. <laughs> and Ivan, who had it all together, would then start his speech and, and whatever, and they just sort of tag-teamed along. Knock! Keep on knocking! Because you have a heavenly Father who when you ask for bread is not going to give you a stone. Who when you ask for a fish is not going to give you a snake. I, I thought of bringing my neighbor uh, in my office uh, up front, but then you might think that I was testing the spirits. Hector is, uh, is a corn snake that lives in my office. We, we have a God who loves us so much that he wants to give us anything that we ask according to his will. I use the word importunate which means urgent, persistent in solicitation. Ellen White uses that phrase. I read from Christ Object Lessons, page 172. The Lord says, call upon me in the day of trouble. In Psalm 50, verse 15. He invites us to present to him our perplexities and our necessities and our need of divine help. He, builds us to, uh, he, he bids us to be instant in prayer. As soon as the difficulties arise, we are to offer to him our sincere, earnest petitions. By our importunate prayers, 
we give evidence of our strong confidence in God. The sense of our need leads us to pray earnestly, and our Heavenly Father is moved by our supplication. What a beautiful statement that is. There's another one in Call Porter Ministry, page 81, where it says, referring to Jacob, Jacob prevailed because he was persevering and determined. His experience testifies to the power of importunate prayer. It is now that we are to learn this lesson of prevailing prayer, of unyielding faith. The greatest victories in the church of Christ or, are, uh, or to the individual Christian are not those that are gained by talent or education, by wealth or the favor of men. They are those victories that are gained in the audience chamber with God when earnest, agonizing faith lays hold upon the mighty arm of power. This is your invitation. This is my invitation to you. I invite you to consider your prayer life, to consider your prayer life in the light of the seemingly impossible things that God asks of us. And to say, Lord, I want to be proactive. I want to be importunate in my prayer. I want to be specific in my prayers. I want to find those, those promises that are in your word that you offer me, and I want to claim them in Jesus' name. If that is your prayer, would you raise your hand with me today? Amen.